Welcome to Manufacturing Tomorrow, focusing on advanced manufacturing innovations, solutions, and partnerships that exist in our region now and in the future. Hello there, you're listening to Manufacturing Tomorrow, brought to you by the Ohio Manufacturing Institute at The Ohio State University. I'm Katherine Kelly, your host for this segment. This segment is also supported by the Center for Operational Excellence at the Fisher College of Business. Today we are speaking with Nick Pinchuk, Chairman and CEO of Snap-On Incorporated, a $3.3 billion S&P 500 company located in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Founded in 1920, Snap-On is a leading global innovator, manufacturer, and marketer of tools, equipment, diagnostics, repair information, and system solutions for professionals. From hand and power tools to information and management systems, they serve customers in aviation and aerospace, agriculture, construction, government and military, among many others. Nick joined Snap-On in 2002 and has been CEO since 2007. He was named chairman in 2009. A manufacturing industry veteran and firm believer in the importance of continuous improvement, Nick is one of the industry's biggest advocates, and I would say he is also one of America's biggest advocates. In 2011, the Career and Technical Education Foundation named Nick its National Business Leader of the Year. And in 2012, SkillsUSA awarded Nick Champion of the Year for his extensive work in supporting and influencing the growth of a highly skilled workforce throughout America. And recently, he was named to the 2014 Industry Week Manufacturing Hall of Fame. Nick, it's a great pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Many individuals have grown up using Snap-on tools. Uh, one blogger described that his mechanic father reserved his felt line top drawer for, for only your company's tools. For audience members, and I'm sure there are, only, there are just a few out there who are not familiar with the company, would you please tell us a little bit about Snap-on's history, especially in terms of innovation? You tell a great story about the founder's idea of using five different handles and the finest quality steel. Sure, sure. Look, uh, Snap-on is a company that's rooted in innovation, quality, and pride and dignity. And it all started from the beginning. In 1920, there were 7.5 million vehicles on the road. And today, you know, for your reference, there's like 300 million vehicles on the road. So at 7.5, the auto industry was just starting, but repair was really just starting. And an engineer from uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, got the idea, take five hand. He said he could improve all this, take five handles of different configurations, uh, maybe an ellipse, a, a T, a crank, and put them together with 10 sockets of different sizes and fashioned them so they would snap on interchangeably. It was an innovation that revolutionized tool sets all over the country. He said these five handles do the work of 50 tools. It created innovation. But he did something else. He made them of high-quality steel. So when you picked up that snap-on five do the work of 50, you knew this is something that's to be reckoned with. And you pick up a snap-on tool today, you can feel the same kind of quality. But here's what he did that was more important. He asked his uh, salesman to go into the shops and lay those tools out on green felt as if they were as precious as surgeons' knives, implying that if the mechanic used those tools, he would declare to the world that what he was doing was as important and as special, perhaps, as a surgeon. So the idea that the display and the use of a snap-on tool is the outward sign of the pride and dignity a worker has in his job has echoed down all these nine decades to us, and it's the fuel which drives our company, and that's alive and well today. 
And I read that you produce over 200 new inventions every year and that about 90% of them actually make it to the market. So uh, what do you consider to be uh, the most notable and, and what kind of responsibility comes with that uh, lifelong professional commitment to your products and services? Well, I mean, look, I, you know, you think about it, Snap-on's kind of an interesting place. I mean, you could say, look, we're, we're a company that works in auto repair and we're a company that works with working men and women. But you know, we're, and so maybe you wouldn't necessarily associate innovation with this. But I would say it's it's very contrary to that. We make one of our product lines, one of our major product lines, hand tools. Uh, technician base in the United States isn't growing; it's growing about one percent a year. Yet we guarantee these tools for life. So the question must come from that: How is it we have any business at all? And the reason we have business is we keep innovating because we go into these shops, we see how the cars are changing, or the airplanes are changing, or the power generation, or the oil and gas platforms are changing, and we come out with new products. So yes, we had we have 200 innovations, special inventions every year, but we turn out far more products that's based on other inventions. For example, last year we turned out 996 new products just for the aviation industry, 859 for the heavy truck industry, 640 for the oil and gas industry, and more, even more for the, uh, for the auto repair industry. So the tradition of innovation that started with that five to the work of 50 has echoed down these nine, more than nine decades and is alive and well today and has fueled our company. And that is unbelievable. I mean, everything. I mean, I went on to the uh, Snap-on tool truck outside of this building and and saw the the whole setup and the way it's all laid out. It's just very specific. I mean, it just I think very much carrying on from that traditional concept of of the surgeon's knives and just uh, incredibly wonderfully laid out. Right. Well, well, I'll tell you, people use Snap-on tools because they are the best, because they are the highest quality, because they perform in places and make their work easier like no other tool will, because they're guaranteed for life, but also because even today, when people see they're using Snap-on tools, they know only somebody who's doing something special would use a tool like this that is so special in itself. And I think a lot of that has to do with, uh, with you pushing continuous improvement as, as a hallmark for innovation. And I, I read you employ full-time continuous improvement staff at each facility, and you send your leadership to the factory floor for a week. Uh, how does that engender continuous innovation on the production floor? Well, it's, it's everything. I mean, if, if you think, just step back and think about what I've said, the 996 new products, the, the 859 new products, we have 65,000 SKUs. And we manufacture from the raw, the raw steel comes in the back of the factory and comes out a hand tool. We, we put a lot of labor and capital. So it's, an, it's a surprisingly complex operation. So that operation is very vertically integrated. We get raw steel, and we end up with a product that we ship to market and hand to the actual end user. Very few manufacturers do that all that way, all that vertical. And we have 65,000 different versions of it. So that means an incredibly complex organization that needs tremendous and continuous improvement just to keep up and be able to handle this. You cannot add all these tools without having continuous improvement. It is the lifeblood of our organization. Now we say we we say that the importance of continuous improvement is 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 essential to us. And so what we do is we make sure that it accomplishes what can, what is the basis of continuous improvement, which is 
accessing the power and the capability and energy of the broad employee base, the associate base. So we make sure it's, it's broad. That's why we have people in every facility getting up every day thinking about how to make uh, urge their associates on to do better things or to, to improve. One of our facilities, Milwaukee Plant, 3,000 events last year. 3,000 events last year. And so, and we don't measure the number of events. This just happens to be, we don't give them a target. We ask that we want to make sure that they improve. We measure their improvement as an aggregate. If they did 1,500 events and they improved as much, we'd be happy. But that's the breadth, 3,000 events. Then depth. We have experts come in from Japan who know continuous improvement and sit with our people 10 to 15 times a year in special events that raise the art of continuous improvement in our place. And then we want to make sure that the company, uh, that the company broadly written, all the people, understand that this is important. And so that's why we have our, our management team go out to a factory floor or a, 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 an operation every year for a whole week and spend that week on the floor with the Japanese consultants side by side with the people trying to improve it. It improves the facility. It raises the understanding of Kaizen or continuous improvement in our management team. And it demonstrates to the organization that it's very important. We do one other thing that you didn't mention. Every year we have a celebration of continuous improvement. We have the what we call our continuous improvement convention where we bring together hundreds of people from all over Snap-on. Last year there were 40 teams from all over Snap-on that they were, they were local winners of the best practices in terms of continuous improvement at their facility. And they had a showcase where people walked around and looked at them and they presented their, 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 uh, their projects. And then in the evening, after we had all the sharing of best practice in the evening, we recognized the top three or four of them and gave them pretty good cash prizes. The winner got $10,000 to go back and make a, make an, uh, make a party, you know, set a party for their location. This year, the winner was in Crystal Lake, you know, the repair center. Last year, the winner was from Minsk, Belarus. The year before, Villa do Con, uh, Portugal. The year before that, from Murphy, North Carolina. And so that celebration is part and parcel of it all. So I say continuous improvement is important to us because we couldn't do what we do with all these solutions, with all these projects, without a very robust activity. But the important elements of that is it's broad. It embraces everybody. Two, it's deep because we keep pushing our knowledge on that. Three, we demonstrate it's important. And four, we celebrate it. And that must just instill a tremendous amount of pride within the the workforce within we, your work, your well, people. I, I think it does. I'm encouraged by their their reaction to it, yes. Now, I have to bring up a dirty word. Yes. You, you have said that uh, uh, you've mentioned the word change and that, uh, you know, in terms of continuous yes. improvement and its effect on the rank and file. So I wanted you to uh, ex expound on that just a little bit. Well, well look, I, I think you have to view it in this context. Uh, management, leadership of any, any, any leader, their primary job is to enlist people in ideas. That's my primary job, to create belief, to sell people on ideas. And so in terms of continuous improvement, I must constantly make sure I'm selling. And one of the things we've found over the years that is probably not helpful in selling ideas is saying we need to change. And the reason is change has become part of the fabric of the rhetoric of America, and I would say, in terms of almost like a, a, a commercial morality about the only thing that's, con you hear people say, the only thing that's constant is change. You hear people say that you have to keep changing, you have to keep changing to keep up, so that if you are against change, you are somehow a Luddite 
or have your or myopic or have your head in the sand or or stubborn consider if you, if you don't believe that consider this would you want to be in a boardroom today arguing against change and i think the answer is no no and you don't even know what the change is the, the people who are great maneuverers in a boardroom understand how to characterize whatever they do as change. But in reality, the, the, the rank and file recognize that change can be used on them by consultants or by management as a bludgeon to characterize them as maybe dull-witted, stubborn, or Luddites, and they don't like it. So if you want to sell people, if you want to engage them, if you want to get the real power of Kaizen and continuous improvement, don't use that word. Use the word I would recommend, evolve. We evolve. We evolve. We base it on what, what we did before was very important. What you did last week or the week before or the year before, that was great. But we evolve. We build on that. We stand on your shoulders today. We stand on the shoulders of what you created a year ago to reach higher. That's evolving. It's not changing. Rightly said. So um, I have to speak about uh, your major role in the national discussion on technical education for manufacturing and uh, the need for industry certifications, for example. Uh, in several reports, you've stated that um, manufacturing has a PR, PR problem, and I'd say part of that has to do with technical education. Have you seen any glimmers of hope in the last year since you received your uh, Industry Week award? Sure. I mean, I think I think there are there are leaders who have stepped forward and are very much behind this. Penny Pritzker, the Secretary of Commerce in the current administration, is a great advocate of this, and she understands this clearly. Mary Fallon, the governor of Oklahoma, you know, a little more controversially, Scott Walker, who's the governor of Wisconsin, and there are, there are Paul Ryan, who, who is uh, who is our own congressman. These people understand that, but there's still a long way to go because we believe uh, there's a couple of things. One is is that people still feel that those young people who aspire to be welders or car mechanics or or car mechanics or or machine programmers in a factory or or enter the manufacturing orb in general are settling for the consolation prize of our society i've talked to many groups in washington and other places and they seem to be skeptical about this but when i ask them the following question you can see it i'll, I'll ask them what would you do if your son or daughter niece or nephew told, told you he, wanted to, he or she wanted to be a pressure welder. You can hear a pin drop in that room because they know they view that as what other people's kids do. Yet these are the jobs that created the economy that we enjoy so much today. The, we have a skills gap in this area. And, and one of the reasons manufacturing has lost 30% of its jobs in the last 20 years is because of that skills gap. One of the reasons why we say the New York Times is writing articles, uh, headlines like the middle class is shrinking and the Washington Post is saying the middle class is lost in space in America is because manufacturing is shrink shrinking. So, so you look at this. The middle class is under pressure. No kidding, Sherlock, because manufacturing is under pressure, is shrinking. And why is manufacturing under pressure? Is because our people are no longer better than others in terms of skills. And one of that reason, one of the reasons for that is they feel as though this is the consolation prize. It's not part of the American dream. Yet, the American dream has always been pride and dignity and keep your family warm and safe and dry and factory jobs do all of that and what we need to do is get our leaders to 
characterize it in just that terms. We need them to turn the rhetoric from viewing manufacturing jobs as the consolation prize to turning it to something like a national calling, which it has always been. And you see this, uh, do you see this more as a, a, a distinct issue within the United States? I know that in Germany, they, that those are, those individuals are called professionals. They are part of the professional ranks. It is a, it is a, it is a point it, of pride. It is a distinct issue in the United States. We've let it kind of drift away. Tyler Cohen wrote a book, you know, Average is Over, and he talked about the slipping of the American dream away. But really, I think that's because we've redefined the American dream as you only achieve the American dream if you become a high-profile attorney, a college professor, a TV anchor, or a CEO. That was never the American dream. It was always about having a, pro a job that j engenders pride and dignity and keeps your family warm and safe and dry and guarantees prosperity for you. And all of these jobs do this. Now, what's happened is is American workers are enthusiastic and capable, but when they're in the competition for jobs, the people in Shanghai are also enthusiastic and capable, and we need to raise their skill levels so they win that competition. The upskilling of the American workforce is the seminal issue of our time. When people talk about, see, when people talk about the future of America and talk about whether prosperity is gonna continue, they question our workers. They say the American worker is a question. I say the American worker is, an ans is the answer, but we need to get them the right training. And for that, both uh, all business needs to enlist with technical education to try to get them that training. There's nothing more important. And what do you see as the role of industry certifications in that? Well, I think it's, I think it's absolutely necessary because what you find is is that when you go from school to school, they don't really seem to know what industry really wants in specific. And so industry can play a heavy role, a strong role in 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 creating that. Snap-on, for example, is is a, is, is a founding member of the National uh, uh, Coalition of Certification Centers. And we have identified, we're in league with, we're in, involved with 200 different schools around the country, 750 instructors, 30,000 certificates granted so far to say this, this student has been, uh, has been certified in car diagnostics, which is one of our things. We make laptops for cars, one of the greatest computer systems based on big data. And it's not so easy to master. And so we, we have led these schools to be able to do this. So, so I think other companies, other industries can get involved and develop these certifications because the schools need the help. The schools need the tremendous help. And that's one of the things business can do. You see, I think I would suggest that business needs to focus on this issue above all others. This is the most important. If you ever ask anybody about, if you ask the, ask the National Association of Manufacturers what's the most important thing about locating a factory, 67% of the people will say the skill of the workforce. And if you ever talk to anybody in China, where a lot of new factories have been started, Talk to people about that, and they'll say, the ones that failed almost inevitably failed because the workforce wasn't good, wasn't skilled enough, wasn't capable enough. The ones that succeeded usually tapped into a great workforce. It's right there before us. And so I would suggest that American business can take the lead in this and do the country a great favor in the process. So in terms of the partnerships, can you, uh, do you see the role for higher education as well as government? Uh, well, I, I don't think government needs to be involved, actually. I actually don't. I think government should be a cheerleader. 
I think the president of the United States should go on TV like I actually have said this. You know, the leaders should go on TV and like Kennedy did in the 60s. John F. Kennedy, I'm, I remember this actually, I'm sorry to say. And he, he went on TV and, and he said, we're going to the moon in a decade. And an enormous number of American youngsters decided that they would become scientists or engineers enlisting in a national calling to help us go to the moon because we were threatened. And, and leaders of the United States, the politicians could do that. It wouldn't cost the dime. And, and companies can do this, and it doesn't cost that much. It just takes intent and recognition and some activity. We do it, and it's, uh, we think it's, as I said, the, most semin the seminal issue of our time. Because for decades now, jobs have gone to the most competitive workforce. We have to make sure Americans are the most competitive. Absolutely. So I wanted to talk uh, about your Innovation Works facility. Yes. And uh, I, I know it's devoted to user-centric innovation, such as prototyping, 3D modeling. Um, how has that influenced your path uh, toward advanced manufacturing, and, and how has that become a, a, a factor in, uh, in over your global competitors? It, it's a marriage of the new and the old. What Snap-on has done forever, our principal value-creating mechanism is to be in the workplace and observe that work and see where there's a problem and think what might solve that problem. Come up with an, for example, for reasons passing understanding, BMW decided to, to change the fasteners in the underbody panels of its cars to two sizes. Created tremendous disruption for mechanics, taking those on eight millimeter and 10 millimeter. What we did was we saw that we made, instead of just a single, single socket, we made a flip socket so you could turn it over and you could use a single socket without having to refer to socket. Save tremendous time in the workplace. A simple thing, but it was rooted in the observation that that was dislocating mechanics. And yet, a, 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 a flip socket, which is basically a, a metal that is perforated at both ends, is a heavy metallurgical challenge. And so we got the idea, the old, the idea, of the practical. You could make a flip socket and it will practically help this guy, but how can you do it technologically? 3D modeling. 3D modeling. Finite element analysis. X-ray diffractometers. You know, electron microscopes allow you to inspect these domains and allow you to do this. That's just one example. And the, and the cool thing about this, remember I had said 65,000 SKUs. Well, we have a lot of practical ideas but what happens when you have things like finite element analysis instead of having to model hard prototypes? If you have X-ray diffractometers and electron microscopes to see the actual domains and understand what's happening at a microscopic level, if you can do 3D modeling, you can do many more prototypes and many more experiments and therefore support many more products, support the 996 aviation products we have. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask you a question we ask all of our guests. Yes. And, uh, you know, we can, uh, you can, this, this can be just a short answer. What would surprise us most about Snap-on? Hmm. I think two things. I, I think one is we are, of course, known for our hand tools, but we're very electronic. Uh, for example, we have a, a large percentage of our business is based in software. And, you know, this is responding to the high content of electronics and software in, 
in all kinds of vehicles and airplanes and in the power generation situation today. So, for example, in cars, the number of engine codes have gone from in, in the mid-90s, you could number them in tens, to now thousands. And what you can do with a snap-on laptop is plug it in. It'll tell you what the car's saying. It'll allow you to observe the car's heartbeat. It'll, it'll allow you to experiment with the car, push it through its heart, through its paces. It'll tell you what the manufacturer says you should do when the car's saying all these things and to follow the decision tree that the manufacturer provides. Or it will tell you that if this is a Honda with 85,000 miles and a check engine light, 92% of the time you change the oil pump. And so a very sophisticated set of data that goes all the way from electronic analysis to reprogramming, to flash reprogramming, to big data analysis. That, that, that revelation that 85,000 miles is, a, is an oil pump is based on hundreds of millions of actual repair records that we have uniquely. That's one. Two is Snap-on is the most powerful brand in the country. And not everyone sees it because its power decays exponentially as you rise off the first floor of any building. In other words, blue-collar people recognize it, but white-collar people aren't always so familiar with it. And so I think that many people will be surprised to see the power. I'll, I'll, I'll offer one example. I'm riding these trucks all the time. There are 3,471 trucks that ride around the country. I get on one truck one day, and a guy's got a snap-on varsity jacket. Corduroy jacket. I ask him how much it is. He says $89. I says, you know, it's got snap-on. It's like a varsity jacket. It looks like, it looks like a letterman's jacket. Snap-on across the chest and snap-on down the sleeve. Mm -hmm. And uh, I ask him, you sold a lot of them? He says, yeah. How, well, how many? He says, well, I've only been selling for two weeks. Now I think bad news is coming. But then I push him and he says, I've sold 80 Wow. $80 for 89 bucks for two weeks, right? He might be more impressed if you realize he only has 200 possible customers. So 40% of his customers were willing to pay him $89 for the exclusive privilege of making the Snap-on name their own because they recognize that it is the outward sign of their, the pride and dignity they take in their job. And that the power of that, the strength of that would surprise a lot of people, I think. I see another industry in your future. Uh, Nick, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you.